It takes more than great bloom filter skills to be a great engineer. This is Soft Skills Engineering, episode 88. I'm your host, Dave Smith. I'm your host, Jameson Dance. Soft Skills Engineering is a weekly advice show for software developers and marsupials. <laughs> I, I mean, know. some marsupials are software developers, so that could be partially redundant. That's true. Uh, isn't that... Uh, okay, you know the Airbud franchise? Uh, Airbud, that rings a bell, but I can't... Airbud is the dog that plays basketball. Oh my gosh, and from the 80s? They kept pivoting to have different animals play different sports, and I believe now they've ended up at marsupial <laughs> software developers. <laughs> Airbud 87 <laughs> marsupial is a, is a marsupial who codes <laughs> yeah <laughs> wow Airbud that is a blast from the past oh my is gosh. it that old I gotta look this up Airbud entertainment homepage what is there like an Airbud cinematic universe <laughs> yeah there is oh Airbud okay. okay 1997 I'm thinking of something else I'm going to close this page before I learn too much about the Airbud <laughs> cinematic <laughs> universe. <laughs> It'll suck Anyways, you do you want me to read our first question? Uh, that's exactly what I want you to do. How did you know? Just experience and intuition combined. <laughs> this is from a listener named God 2.0. Uh, that's, that's what they said. So that's what we'll call him. How do you dress for interviews? Full-on informal beach bum? Smart casual? Formal suit tie? Hmm. <laughs> Good question. What is there like a informal beach bum? Is there such a thing as a formal beach bum? A formal, <laughs> it's a one of those tuxedo t-shirts and <laughs> patent leather flip flops. <laughs> like board shorts. <laughs> yeah, but your board shorts have like a really nice crease in them. They're they're pressed. <laughs> so I think smart casual is where you wear cargo shorts, but they're connected to the internet, right? <laughs> And it just keeps track of like how many startup waters you have in your giant pockets. <laughs> it, it automatically alerts you when your startup water inventory is low yeah, in your pockets. Yeah, you can go check an app on your phone instead of just like <laughs> look in your pocket like a human. Oh man, I can't believe And I... also they can get hacked. That's the other feature of Internet of Things stuff. Now your shorts can get hacked. <laughs> oh man, so worth it though for the convenience. Yeah. Do you remember and, how crappy I mean, to it be was on the cutting edge. to look into your pockets? I mean, that was terrible. <laughs> yeah. Your shorts are now Google Glass. <laughs> <laughs> so to my first technical job interview, I wore a full-on suit and tie. Me too. And I got there. And the guy that interviewed me was like, you don't have to wear a suit. Yeah. Me that was, too. That was the first thing he said. And it did not start off well <laughs> that's exactly what happened to me it was a university interview i sat down in this little interview pod and the guy says to me you didn't have to wear a suit <laughs> yeah just right away putting you at ease <laughs> by the way you're dressed wrong and everyone's looking at you funny <laughs> he picked up the red pen and made a mark on the piece of paper <laughs> yeah i've been going through some job interviews recently and i wore a t-shirt to my last on-site interview and my wife was like are you sure that's okay <laughs> like, yeah it's fine don't worry this is how we signal competence to each other <laughs> and then i had some remote interviews uh and i may have not showered one of the days of one of my interviews because i got the time zone wrong I'm just like real quick threw on a hat to cover your your, my, your bed my greasy head. mop yeah <laughs> yeah i don't get like the good bed head where you look like a model i get the bed head where it looks like 
I just woke up from a very long and, and restful, but also energetic nap. There's a lot of tossing and turning. <laughs> a restful but energetic nap. <laughs> yeah, like I used a lot of energy smushing my hair around. <laughs> oh my gosh. Anyways, yeah, I've, I've never worked at a place that has had a formal dress code as a developer. And I believe that they are out there, but I've never worked there mm-hmm. nor interviewed at one. So I've always either been the right amount of dressed or way overdressed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, me too. In fact, there's kind of a, a degradation of my formality as, as I think back over the job interviews I've, I've attended. My first job interview was a suit and a tie, just like you. Second job interview, I think I wore no suit, but I still wore a tie. This is hmm. like a year, year and a half in. I hadn't quite realized. And then third job interview, I think I wore just whatever the heck I was wearing when I went to work that day and, and ducked out for the interview. And then from there on out, I have no recollection. I'm pretty sure I wore gym shorts on my remote interview, but that's okay. (laughs) They did not factor in. (laughs) Yeah, I've probably worn a button-up shirt. I don't think I've ever worn a tie uh, for an interview besides that that first (laughs) bad experience. I, I think the general advice is you would like to be maybe at the same level or slightly a little bit more formal yeah. than the dress at the at the place you work. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. Take it like one increment higher. So you need to do a little recon where you figure out what people wear to work. You know, if they wear flip-flops, then you can wear Birkenstocks. Yeah. <laughs> With socks. <laughs> the, the classy person's flip-flops. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There could be a lot of subcultures around that, though, that I'm not aware of. Like maybe... Maybe I don't know. You know how there are watch people who will just, they know a lot about watches and you only know of Casio? <laughs> I think there are probably things like that for flip-flops of like, oh, those flip-flops, re- re- those reveal exquisite taste <laughs> in a gentleman or lady. I don't think so. I don't think that subculture exists for flip-flops. <laughs> okay. As a flip-flop connoisseur myself. <laughs> um, if it was there, I'd be aware of it. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I would know. So, so how do you find out what the formality level is so you can be at or slightly above it? If you have a trusted insider who can give you advice that you think is, you know, competent in this area, that's the first thing I would go to. But then otherwise ask the recruiter what people wear. I think if you just say, hey, what do people wear to these interviews? Rather than say, what should I wear? Just say, what is normal that people wear most commonly? And they'll say, oh, you know, whatever. Or they'll say, you know, people really dress up or whatever. I think that's a good way. They, the recruiters, they may not know everything about the company, but they know how the candidates dress. Yeah. I think one option also is to put on a, a disguise and then just sneak in and pretend to be <laughs> like maintenance or something. <laughs> you know, so we actually hired a InfoSec person four or five years ago. Oh, at my did startup. they have to do like, I don't there's probably a name for it. Like, I don't know, um, operational security or something. Actually, so he just did it on his own. It was funny. So he was an InfoSec oh, person. Awesome. And he walked into the front door and started social engineering the front desk and stuff just to see how far he would get. I'm the password inspector. I need to see all your passwords. (laughs) Keyboards up, everyone. Give me those (laughs) post-its. He only got like 10 or 15 feet into the building before someone stood up and said, hey, who are you? What are you doing? And he was like, awesome. Anyway, he was super impressed. So the next day he came back and interviewed. He made up some story and then left. He's like, oh, I'm just looking for the bathroom. You know, and then the next day he came in and interviewed and people recognized him. (laughs) And they were like, hey, weren't you that guy that came in yesterday? He's Oh, he did it before a job. So he was going to interview there. Right. He was coming to interview, but the day previously he hacked. Did he get the job? He did. Yeah, he did. (laughs) That's really cool. (laughs) 
And a funny side note, huh. he, he then went on to orchestrate many, like, basically spoofed phishing attacks against our own company to, to train people, you know, what it looks like when you get spearfished and, huh. you know, try to collect employees' passwords and stuff. And then, and then yeah. uh, you know, and then when people did a good job and stood up to them and, and whatnot, they would have, like, you know, employee of the month who defeated the security guy. Anyway, it was cool. That's cool. Anyway, so that has nothing to do when- with what you should dress, though. <laughs> Yeah, when you do this, make sure you go up to people and ask them, like, that's a nice shirt. What brand is it? (laughs) Just do a lot of reconnaissance. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Okay, one caveat to this. If if you are a woman, I have no earthly idea what the answer is, but I'm pretty sure it's a lot more complicated than the advice we just gave. I have I have a lot, you know, I've interviewed a fair number of women and I've interviewed women in jeans and, you know, like not t-shirts but you know jeans and you know the next step over a t-shirt and i've also interviewed women who wear much more uh much more formal not like evening gowns but more formal stuff um so i think in the in this industry at least it's for sure more flexible than in other industries even for women yeah now that's yeah that's not to say that they aren't necessarily judged by a different standard subconsciously or maybe even consciously by other people but from my mm-hmm. experience i didn't judge the women anyway differently based on how they dressed yeah i don't think i did either i'm I'm just think i can't i don't know what the formal what what the official advice would be Mm -hmm. one one broad baseline though is like you should have good hygiene that's for sure (laughs) you should you should do your hair even even if the dress code is sweatpants if you come in with cheeto stained sweatpants that smell like that's no good and you better do really (laughs) good on the whiteboard interview (laughs) no i don't think there is I don't think there's a thing you could write on the whiteboard where if you stood up to write it and I saw a stain on your pants. Really? I would I would accept. Really? <laughs> no, not just a... I'm not, I'm not talking like a stain. I'm, I don't know. You mean like a extended period of Cheeto wiping on your I think wiping if someone lacks basic personal hygiene, they would not be a good coworker. Okay. Actually, I just read a book. It's on my shelf right now. It's called The Dirt on Clean, and it talks about the history of cleanliness mm-hmm. over like the last two millennia and okay. how much our ideas of what being clean is are cultural mm-hmm. and not absolute. So maybe that's not even true if you work with lots of people from different cultures. But I, I mean, like gross Cheeto stains, <laughs> I think that's, 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 that's a universal thing. <laughs> So, like, when you went out to interview, did your wife say, hey, there's Cheeto stains on your pants? Don't worry. That's how we signal competence. Yeah. (laughs) If you look closely, the Cheeto stains are actually in the form of the big O notation for (laughs) how long or how how good uh, Quicksort is. (laughs) Okay. I can't can't say that I've ever interviewed, interviewed someone who had obviously acute hygiene problems. Have you ever been in that situation? I have, yeah. They didn't do well in the interview, though, so it wasn't the it wasn't a dilemma mm-hmm. of like mm-hmm. they would do so awesome at work, but they smell bad. It was right, like, right. It was a, more yeah. of a clear cut case. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I'm I'm saying regardless of the level of formality you dress, I think just looking neat and nice, you can do that no matter if you have a t-shirt on or or a suit jacket on. Okay, so if you had to choose one of these things from the list in the question, which is full on informal beach bum, smart casual, formal suit tie. I would go with smart casual with a topping of Google Glass, like an actual Google Glass. <laughs> like a topping as in the top hat of some kind? <laughs> I meant literally on top, but also 
like a metaphorical topping on the cake. Yeah. You know, like the cherry on top. Okay. Here's what you do. You layer. First layer, uh, outer layer is very formal, but also all tear away. So you walk in the door, you notice everyone's in jeans and t-shirts. You tear off your outer layer of tuxedo. tuxedo, And underneath, you maybe have some like slacks and maybe a button-down shirt or polo shirt or something. Still too formal. That's also tear away. Tear it away. Shorts. Jorts, actually. Maybe maybe some homemade cut-off jorts and a tech t-shirt. And then you'll need some tearaway shoes. Tearaway like uh Tearaway shoes, yeah. <laughs> Maybe they're not tearaway. You just kick really hard and they go flying off. <laughs> and under, and it reveals a uh, flip-flop. Yeah, you just kick, send your shoes flying. <laughs> Leave this pile of tearaway clothing stride in the door. Dominate the interview. That's true. See, then you have to do a lot less legwork this way because you can just walk in and you can make a game day decision about yeah. what to wear by just being prepared for any eventuality. Yeah, and if I guess if you're really worried, what if they have different layers where the people near the front are very formal <laughs> or very informal? That would be the worst. Oh, right. People near the front are very informal. You get further in, the formality rises the oh, further man. in you get. This is a pathological So you might case. need to We're layer, you might need this. to have several layers of super formal, informal, and then maybe one more super formal <laughs> layer as a backup. That's the base layer. <laughs> yeah, just in case. <laughs> Would you, so get, you can deal with so that you can situation. hide your tuxedo under your jorts and t-shirt <laughs> yeah it, it would need to obviously roll down your pants <laughs> right. like roll down your leg it'd have to be rolled up oh, but maybe man. you pull you you like pull a ripcord and it just flies down maybe there's some <laughs> compressed air in there to help it <laughs> smart casual on its way it's actually all controlled yeah. by your cell phone though <laughs> you just push okay so it doesn't tear away you press a button and some small shaped explosive charges fire blasting <laughs> your formal wear off you're like is that what you're saying hey siri down level formal wear <laughs> <laughs> i like it okay i think that means we've answered it oh yeah be ready Good for luck. anything literally anything <laughs> yeah uh you'll need to do some some manufacturing to prepare <laughs> what if they ask you to like engage in some kind of physical challenge and you're not ready for it like downhill skiing or something like should you bring uh, should you bring the material to do that yeah i guess you'll need rock climbing you'll need a lot rock climbing is like you need to, i think you can rock climb in jorts <laughs> all right not, do you not want to read our next know, question whatever <laughs> <laughs> okay uh, yeah, this comes from listener Steven. Steven says, Hi, I'm a relatively new developer, but was excited when my manager asked if I would like to interview incoming engineers. Oh, Steven. <laughs> <laughs> you, Why do you say that? He was excited to interview incoming engineers. Oh, I don't know. I like interviewing. Do you really? Yeah, I enjoy it. Okay. Hmm. I would have t- pegged you as someone who doesn't like to do interviewing because you've never found a process that actually works and you feel like you're just... I like it because I feel like I can do the bare minimum of effort and still have it be such a better experience than the <laughs> null interview process. Okay. It makes me feel like I'm helping a lot. All right. So Steven says, I know you've answered how to prepare for an interview as a candidate, but do you have any tips for preparing for an interview as an interviewer? I will be on a team of two or three that would be interviewing candidates. The other interviewers will be analysts and non-technical folks. So I'm in charge of gauging their technical proficiency specifically. Would you approach a team interview or an interview where you focus only on 
technical details differently than if you were the only interviewer. Thanks. Love the pod. Thank you, Stephen. You saved a lot of time there. I like that. Efficiency. That means you'll interview well. That's right. Jump right to the heart of issues. How do you prepare? You've never you've never interviewed anyone. Oh, man. I still remember the first interview I did. This is actually, it's kind of a good story. Yeah. Yeah, I'd been out of college for maybe six or eight months, and my company, which was small, was going to expand and hire a few engineers. And they, the first candidates I brought in were like longtime friends and former coworkers of the other more senior engineers at the company. And hmm. they were like, hey, Dave, would you interview this guy? This particular, this particular developer had like 20 years of experience, had done so many amazing things. Like, I don't remember specifically, but I want to say he was like an Apache web server core contributor or something. <laughs> oh, cool. And I was like, I'm looking over his resume and I just look up at him and I'm just like, so how how is it being an engineer? <laughs> like, I had no idea. <laughs> I felt like Chris Farley on the Saturday Night Live where he interviews celebrities. Have you seen that? No, I haven't. He gets like Paul McCartney on and he's like, so um, you're, you were in the Beatles? <laughs> <laughs> Paul McCartney's like, Yes. Yes, I was. <laughs> and, and he's like, that's awesome. <laughs> anyway, huh. that's how I felt on my first interview experience. Do you feel like they were doing that on purpose to kind of like give you a softball? Because it sounds like they wanted to hire this person anyways. I, I felt like my interview was a formality after I looked at his resume and talked to him for a few minutes. And I think mm-hmm. maybe they just wanted me to get to know him before they hired him. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. So how how did you figure out how to interview well, i feel like you now and that I i'm both a master have, of interviewing <laughs> well i don't know i i think we both have ideas maybe they're not 100 percent compatible but i feel like we both have a process that we like for interviewing how did you arrive at this process it was probably mostly influenced by the process that i observed at my second company where mm-hmm. i felt like they did a really good job of selecting candidates that were that had a very high probability of being successful on the job hmm. And so I just, I, I think I was mostly influenced by observing that process that already existed and participating okay. that way. Sure. So you, you just interviewed a lot, basically. Yeah, but these were like and, panel and, interviews. And so it was like four well. interviewers and one interviewee. And I just kind of would observe for a while. And I'd see what okay. people would say and how, they, and how the candidates would respond. And, and just watching that, I think, started to shape my interview process. And, and really, it's only really tweaked from there. It's like it hasn't fundamentally changed. So I don't know. It's kind of a crappy answer, I guess. <laughs> you have failed the interview. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> what about you? How did you learn how to interview? I think I just did it a bunch and saw a lot of things I didn't like and a few things I liked. And then I read about it a lot. I've never had any formal training mm-hmm. of anyone sitting me down and saying, here's the correct way to interview people. And I was probably too arrogant for it to even have worked back in the day. <laughs> it would have been like, what do you know, you yeah. fuddy-duddy? Yeah, um, exactly. But but definitely no one, ever, no one ever tried to show me how to correctly interview. It was just like, here's how we do things. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking back the first place I did interviews. I don't know why I even got into them at first. I think I just wanted to because I cared a lot about the culture and and making the company a good place to work. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to be involved in the interview process to make sure like we we're hiring people that I thought would would do well there. My my interview process has also been influenced by my own 
interviews I've gone through and I've just kind of picked things right, I liked and also right. things that I will never, ever, ever <laughs> do. <laughs> yeah, that's actually that's actually something I should have mentioned as well. As, as, you, as we've said on the show before, I'm a bit of a serial hobbyist interviewer um, mm-hmm. on the candidate side. And so, yeah, I've definitely picked up stuff I'll avoid. But also, I've seen a few things that I, that I liked. Yeah. Every time I've utterly bombed an interview, I think utterly bombing could have been avoided on the interviewer's side. Oh, really? If I if they had either given me more information to know, like, listen, there's no way you're even close to qualified or what we're looking for, then mm-hmm. I wouldn't have done the interview. Or, or just, like, changing some of the processes. Hmm. So what about, have you ever bombed an interview that you felt like you were qualified for the position, but the process was stacked against you? Yeah, I think that's happened a couple of times. Fewer than the other thing where I just was not at all <laughs> qualified. <laughs> but there definitely have been times where I felt like I could do the work here, but there's no way I will do it because of this interview. Oh, wow. Of, of how I'm performing on this interview. Oh, meaning it will be withheld from me. Yeah, yeah. Like they're, they're not going to say yes because I'm doing really crappy. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of times I would, I would then get mad and be like, well, I don't want to work here anyway and take my toys <laughs> and go home. Yeah. But looking back, I feel like there are definitely places I could have worked and enjoyed and done a good job at that I just didn't didn't jump through their hoops. Oh, man, we're we're rambling a lot though. We haven't answered the actual question. Yeah, like what do you actually what do? Should, yeah, what should Steven do as a as a new interviewer? So Steven should go and interview at like five other companies. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Make notes and bring back yeah. the best stuff and use it in your own interviews. Yeah. I'm actually only half kidding when I say that. Uh we would have, at my second job out of college, several of my engineering peers would go and interview at kind of the big tech companies, and, and they would bring back notes about what they asked them about, and uh, it definitely influenced our interview process. It was it was great to see how other people do it. Yeah, I mean, Stephen, you said you're a relatively new developer, but you probably had to interview to get this job. So you've at least been through one process. Maybe you mm-hmm. went through some other ones too. Mm-hmm. So you can take some some insight from that what did you like what did you not like about it i think the source of a lot of bad interviews in tech is people doing what was done to them though yeah you you need to be a little careful to not just blindly repeat what other people have done because often what you're blindly repeating is not very helpful that's right yeah cargo culting you're interested specifically in evaluating technical skills this is, I think, going to be a challenge for Steven as a new developer because he's in the situation... With one interview also. Yes, you're the yeah. only technical interviewer. You're relatively new to development. And I don't know if you're going to be hiring people who are more experienced than you or less experienced than you, but it's going to be difficult to assess their talent, especially if they have experience in technologies that you're not experienced with. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, at that point, you might assess uh, how good they are at explaining stuff to people that don't have their same depth of knowledge for sure but that's different than knowing can they just do the work in this thing i don't understand yet it is but it's a decent proxy for that um and it it doesn't necessarily predict quality of work but i do think that if you can explain the stuff you've done in a way that makes sense to an engineering peer that's a good predictor that you'll work well with them uh, on the job yeah i i believe that there are trade-offs with asking for work samples or or asking someone to code before the interview, but I think they're worth it overall, usually, um, if you do it right. So I think you should ideally have some code they've written, either specifically for a problem you've submitted to them or some open source or other code that they've done. I think you should be able to look at their code because mm-hmm. that's going to be a lot of their output. And if you want to know if they can code, great way to do that is look at what they've coded. For sure. 
Speaking of code, have you ever pair programmed with someone during an interview? Yeah, that was actually my default um, for part of the interview process for a long time. Yeah. Do you recommend it? Yeah, I think it, it's great. It's not exactly the same as pair programming at work because you might, you might, for example, be doing a problem that you is your fixed pair programmer interview problem. So you already know all the answers, but you don't just tell them. But mm -hmm. I think if you pair program with someone, you get to see how they code and you also get the opportunity to make them feel more comfortable and, and have kind of a personal connection with them. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a big part of interviewing is allowing people to show off their best selves, not just how they perform under fire. There's a blog post I'll mention that talks about how interviews, uh, developers are not like combat infantrymen. They don't need to just <laughs> show up under pressure, you know, like <laughs> normally the work you do is pretty different than the this typical interview process of, of kind of adversarial mm -hmm. kind of intense. So anything you can do to yeah. calm people down, make them feel more at ease, get them to feel like they would feel during the normal workday will get you a better idea of how they will work during the normal workday. Maybe like put a scented candle on the desk and nice aromatic soothing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe give them some helpful backpats while they do it. <laughs> like attaboy, girl. Yeah. Good job, sport. <laughs> nice curly brace you drew on the whiteboard there. <laughs> But yes, I do like pair programming, both because you get to work together and see how it feels to work together. And also because you get to, if you sense that they are feeling very nervous, you get to try and defuse that a little bit. Um, the, the broader point though, I think is that as much as possible, the interview should reflect the work. Yes. A lot of people um, like to use proxies. There are some logic puzzles or, oh, yuck. Uh, I don't know, there's all kinds of stuff you can ask about or do that isn't the work that you would do. Right. And then people think that that will demonstrate how you would work. But why don't you just do the work mm -hmm. and see how they do? So speaking of that, um, even whether you choose to pair program or do something with a computer in isolation or whatever, you're going to have to choose some kind of problem space for the candidate to demonstrate their skills. And before you walk into an interview with the candidate and you've got this problem in your hand that you want to present and work on with them, be sure to test it first by, and when I say test, what I mean is present it to another engineer and see how they do. You need a baseline for, if nothing else, just to check if your question is insane, but also something you can compare against to say, well, you know, in a non-pressure, non-interview situation, my coworker solved this problem in this way. Um, and you can then compare that to the, what the candidate does. So I think yeah. it's really important that you don't just show up and be like, well, I, I thought of this problem. I've worked through it in my mind. Now I'm going to throw it at a candidate and see how they do. Like that's, you're too late. You should have already tried it out. That was how I did it when I first started. <laughs> here's a here's a tricky problem that I just thought of part of the way through. <laughs> <laughs> and it turns out I don't explain it very well. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Or pick a good problem even. Yeah, that's, yeah. A, that's a good point. I think... Another thing you could think about is trying to get some kind of data or some kind of, you're going to have a feeling after either coding with them or looking at their code or asking them some technical questions. Um, and feelings are very hard to compare against feelings you have about other candidates. So if you can mm -hmm. make some kind of rubric, I think that's pretty helpful. Maybe if you're looking at code, you score it on like 
completeness and test coverage and maintainability or I don't know you, you pick some criteria yep um, probably tell them exactly so it's yes huge important if, if you're going to be grading them on some aspect of their code you owe it to them to tell them what those aspects are yeah yeah and and then go through the code and, and make some numbers make a scale one through five or whatever mm -hmm. another thing that actually when I read this question raises a red flag in my mind is that you are the only technical interviewer I think that's a quite possibly a bad process. Um, not because that's not like a, a criticism of Steven, the interviewer, but rather um, you're making a big decision about a candidate here and you've only got one person assessing their technical abilities. And I think you should have a couple <laughs> at least to be able to say, yeah. you know, I saw this, did you see that? Um, and come to a consensus rather than, uh, you know, one person who holds this decision in the balance. Yeah. If there was only one person assessing someone's technical proficiency, I would want it to be someone very comfortable assessing people's technical proficiency, mm -hmm. um, which S Steven, I'm sure you're great. You're also very new to this. So I, I would want it to be someone a little more experienced if it was only one person. Yeah, for sure. So that is a little weird. I'm sure you'll do great though. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but just yeah, as a process overall, this feels weird. Yeah, I agree. Uh, at my current company, we actually go through eight hours of training before we're ever in a room with a candidate. And even then, when we go into a room with a candidate, we actually have to shadow another interviewer where we don't participate actively. We just observe and make notes. Um, and then before we get left alone in a room with a candidate, we have to be shadowed by someone else who's experienced to watch us and then give us feedback. And you have to do those through several iterations before you can become a full-fledged solo interviewer. And mm. I really appreciate that because um, not only is all the training just great, but being able to see a whole bunch of other people's interview style and then learn from them and ask them questions and then have them sit back and criticize and, and um, comment on your interview style, it's super handy. And yeah, it, that would be interesting. It has shaped my process a lot. You know, to have someone mm -hmm. sit down and say, that question you asked, um, I would have asked this follow-up question. And I'm like, oh, great idea, you know? I never would have thought of that. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good that's a really good point. Do you feel like the training was helpful or just having feedback on it was more helpful? The training because I, I could see the training's role being to enforce kind of here's how we do it at this company. Yeah. Yeah, that and that's exactly I feel like right. you already you already went into it with a pretty I feel like you're pretty comfortable interviewing before that. I was, but I wanted to know the way my company did it. And that's what the training did for me. And it also, you know, went mm -hmm. over important legal things, stuff you're not allowed to ask about. Uh, you, there, there is a lot of stuff that you might be surprised to learn. It is not legal to ask about. And so your company owes it to you to provide that training to keep them out of a mess if you go in there and screw up. Yeah, if they didn't tell you, though, just Google it real quick before your interview. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It doesn't take eight hours <laughs> that is the only. That's the only formal training I've ever had in an interview is someone pulling me aside and saying, hey, don't ask this. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and it wasn't until I had done a lot of interviews. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't think I asked questions. anything. Well, no, I don't think I did going back, but maybe I did. I don't know. I sure didn't know it was illegal. Are you allowed to ask what brand of smart cargo shorts they're wearing? <laughs> you are, but they don't have to answer. Right. <laughs> Do ask, don't tell. That's what yeah, that's and called. And you can't hold the answer. The answer cannot affect the outcome <laughs> negatively or positively. <laughs> hmm. I talked a lot about interviewing in general and Steven's asking specifically how you assess someone's technical proficiency. And I have a lot of thoughts about how you interview in general, but assessing someone's technical proficiency 
I think I think my go-to would be one look at their code that mm-hmm. they've written before to do some kind of pair programming. And the three, I might do some kind of systems design exercise. Oh yeah. Something I would use a whiteboard to solve in real life, not a fake whiteboard question. So like we need a system with these properties. How would you structure it? What would your backend look like? What would your I don't know. So as, what would your schema look like? As you're pair programming with someone, what are you looking for? How do you assess their performance? I'm looking to see if they make progress on solving the problem that's that's a big one i'm looking to see how it feels to interact with them Mm -hmm. i've pair programmed with some people that are very overbearing or people that i felt like we fit together naturally that they asked good questions and had we had a good back and forth trying to solve the problem i'm looking to see what kind of questions they ask to kind of like get an understanding of the problem um, and then I'm just, I mean, we're doing it in a language that they're comfortable with. So I'm looking to see how comfortable they are with their comfy language of choice, even if that's not the language they would use at work. Mm-hmm. That's kind of a proxy for what they would be able to do once they got up to speed on the tech at work. Yes. So here, this actually leads me to a uh, something that's a pet peeve of mine, which is that I never hire for a laundry list of skills that my company happens to be using today. In other words, I don't sit down and say, well, tell me about your experience with language X or with tool Y. I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in in the tools that they have used, have they ge- developed expertise in those tools? And that, that's hard to assess if you don't have experience with them, but that's what I'm looking for. Um, if they just happen to have experience in tools that we don't use today, no problem. I don't care at all. I'm looking for developers who can learn new things. And chances are the stuff that I'm using today isn't going to be the stuff that I'm using in a year or two anyway, even if I stay at the same company. So I want a developer who can grow with the times. Yeah. I'm, I mean, if we're doing it in a language I don't know very well, I'll probably ask a lot more questions about stuff. And then it's a chance to see how, how they explain things technically, yeah. like we talked about earlier. For sure. I haven't explicitly tried to challenge design decisions in these pair programming interviews. I haven't tried to say like, well, why, why are you doing it this way? Is there a better way? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe if, maybe if there's some glaring performance issue or something like that, I might try and suggest things. But I talked about having a rubric. I don't have one for pair programming. I have one for looking at code that is pre-written. Oh, uh, okay. But I should probably make one for pair programming, huh? Yeah, for sure. Okay. Well, good advice, Dave, to me. Yeah, hey, I'm here to help. Um, <laughs> just trying to make you a better interviewer. I will be. It's my job. As soon as I do this. One more thing you might want to ask, Stephen, of the other people who are interviewing and also of the people who are going to be making the final decision is what's the process after I'm done with a candidate? What will I need to tell you? Is there paperwork? Uh, how do we evaluate the candidate? Do we meet together? Oh, man. <laughs> and you need to know this stuff before you sit down with the candidate so that you can be sure to get to the right material with the candidate so that after the interview, you have answers to the right questions. Does that make sense? Yeah. What happens next is a pretty standard question. And you need to be able to... I'll tell a story. <laughs> we we did an interview as a team with a candidate. The candidate pair programmed with everybody on the team. There, there was a next step that would happen then if we decided we liked the candidate and wanted to move forward. And there's a separate process if we were unsure or, or were a no. And someone kind of got the team together in front of the candidate and we're like, so what, what happens next? Like someone in the interview oh, process no. on the team. And we, we had to be like, well, that depends. Why don't you stand over there <laughs> while we talk about it awkwardly? So yeah, it should be very clear what happens next. And ideally it should be clear before the interview starts. Yeah. What happens next? So you don't have this awkward like, well, if we like you, we'll do this. If not, then we're done. <laughs> yeah. Has the question been answered? One more thing. 
since this is the beginning of your illustrious interviewing career, it's a good idea to occasionally step back and take stock of the people that you have interviewed, especially those that got hired, and ask yourself, did I make the right call? And if I did, great. And if I didn't, what do I need to change about my interviewing to be able to get that information earlier in the process so we don't have to make a mistake in the hiring? You know? Mm. And it's not always clear whether you did or did not make a right choice, even if they got hired. Um, but over time, it usually becomes pretty clear. Yeah, I can think of several notable uh, rejections that I have done. Mm-hmm. That I, I, looking back, I'm like, man, <laughs> that was such a, why didn't we hire that person? And it's it's changed how I approach things for sure. Yeah, that's the harder one is like, a lot of times when you reject someone, you may never see them again. And unless they're internet famous, you might not ever find out whether they actually would have been a good candidate. So that's the hardest yeah. one, I think, to get feedback for yourself on is did I make a good call when I rejected them? Yeah. So uh, just be Facebook friends with them and <laughs> stalk them very closely after that. <laughs> Connect with them on LinkedIn and see if you can get a testimonial from their future coworkers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Is the question answered? Yep, I think so. Okay. Good luck, Stephen. Guild you great. Have fun. Yep. Be nice. Yeah. Yeah. Good advice. All right. What can people do if they want their own questions answered, Dave? Go hit us up on softskills.audio where you can click ask a question and fill out a form. You can give us as much detail as you like about yourself or keep yourself completely anonymous and we will get to your question. We are very thankful for the many, many people who have submitted questions. There are too many for us to answer. But one day, if you're patient enough and my health holds, (laughs) 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 we will answer all these questions. Uh, also, follow us on Twitter at SoftSkillsENG, where we tweet occasionally about new episodes and other goings-on. Uh, and check out the comments at the bottom of each episode page. There are some great comments forming good good discussion threads about things that we left out or uh, other you know alternative answers that people have to questions, which are super insightful to read each week. All right. With that, I think we're done. All right. See you next week.